We're playing a game today. It's called, How Long Can You Stand the Awkward Silence? I just lost, as I always do, because that's my limit right there. That's my threshold. Actually, about two seconds ago was my threshold, actually, before I spoke. So today, I want to talk to us about this idea of being wounded, but specifically being wounded in the context of church. And this does definitely apply if you've never experienced church wounds, but can I tell you that I know so many people have dealt with various issues within the body of Christ. And I wanted to share this message specifically on this Sunday because I knew that we should let people know who came to church perhaps on Easter, as well as many of us who regularly attend here at BCC, that I know that there's a lot of things that can happen and have happened that people use as barriers to keep them from really growing in a relationship with God and staying plugged in and connected to a local body of believers, a church. And those are things like unmet expectations, things like disagreements, things like lies, gossip, hurtful words, hurtful actions, empty words, maybe empty promises. And these are from people, and these are from leaders that you thought that you could trust. People who said they followed Jesus. People who call themselves Christian. Or maybe people who call themselves even pastor. People that you've looked up to. People you've gotten close to. People that you've trusted. They have perhaps burned you or hurt you, and you don't really even know what to do next. You know, I think there's different ways that people cope with these types of things because some people, their way to cope with that type of wound is that they just avoid the idea of church altogether. They don't want to be a part of church community because there's too much of that that's associated with pain and disappointment. And so their tactic to be able to deal with it is that they just stay away. For other people, they try to find another church to call home and they slowly build trust again and they kind of sit on the sidelines for a while and maybe they truly never embrace or never truly trust that new church environment because they're still carrying around thoughts and wounds and pain from their last negative experience. Some people were even abused by their commitment to serve. Maybe they were taken advantage of. They gave and they gave and they gave and they felt abused by their heart and their willingness to serve. Other people have found themselves wounded by abusive teaching from power-hungry leaders that would uh, be delusional and would try to use people for their own personal gain. And because these teachers were abusive or manipulative in their approach, those who have sat under that type of leadership and that type of teaching, when they step out again and try to get connected to another church, they don't know what to believe. Like, can I believe this? Can I trust this? So how do we deal with these types of experiences? How do we deal with this? And more importantly, how do we find healing? How do we find wholeness? And how do we find restoration from church wounds? Let's go over to the Gospel of John chapter 20. You thought I was going to say Mark, didn't you? <laughs> we went through that whole book verse by verse. We finished up on Easter. So now we're going to try a different gospel. John chapter 20, 
Now, this is following the same timeline from Easter because um, after Christ's resurrection, he began appearing to several people. He appeared to his 12 disciples. He appeared to various people in different situations. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story following Christ's resurrection is now he's appearing to various people. And I want to kind of focus in on this story specifically in John chapter 20 and verse 24. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, if Thomas could see into the future, I bet he would not have said these words because he would forever ever be labeled as who? He even has like his own catchphrase that we use to tell people, don't be like this guy. Don't be a doubting Thomas. I mean, what a terrible thing that this guy is now forever associated uh, with this idea of this one section that he said, unless I see the nails, unless I see the, the side, unless I actually touch it, put my finger in it, like that's a weird thing to want to do, but he wanted to do that. He said, I'm not going to believe it. I guess he thought maybe they came up with someone who like looked like Jesus, but it's not really him. Maybe it was just a close you know, duplicate, but no way it could be him. Why would Thomas say this? Because Thomas was there when Jesus was beaten. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He saw how Jesus was physically beat. He saw uh, how they murdered his, his Lord, his master, his, the man he had been following and trusting in. And they, he saw how grotesque that this picture was. As a matter of fact, if you read in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's account of Jesus' trial and of the torture that he went through and his crucifixion is much more detailed than any other gospel with what all Jesus actually physically went through, even to the point to where he wasn't even recognizable. And so now they're saying they've seen him, and he's like, no. Like, even if he was alive, he would be so disfigured, and he would be just so just, just, just messed up from all of the torture that he endured. There's no way. And so Thomas says, no, I, I don't believe you guys, because I saw how grotesque that was, and I need some proof, and I need to be able to have some physical proof here. Verse 26, eight days later, after this, after he says this, Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and this time Thomas was with them. Now, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And the reason he says this is because they're in a locked room. If you're in a locked room, all of a sudden Jesus appears. You go, what? <laughs> and Jesus is like, settle down. Peace be with you. You know, they're, they're all like surprised because they thought it was just them and then the very first thing Jesus does after telling them, peace be with you, the very first thing Jesus has on his priority list of what he's going to do next, check this out. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love the compassion of Jesus, and I hope that you catch the compassion of Jesus in this story. The compassion of Jesus. He could have appeared to them in any form, and he chose intentionally to retain the very scars Thomas requested to see. And Jesus wasn't even in the room. It wasn't like they slipped Jesus a note and said, hey, if you can make this happen, show up to Thomas and make sure that you got holes in your hands because he said he needs to see that. No, Jesus knew this. He knew where Thomas was and he knew what Thomas had said and he knew about Thomas's unbelief and Jesus in his compassion showed Thomas what he had requested to see and helped him to experience what he needed to experience by Jesus retaining intentional scars. Jesus had a lot more scars than just his hands and his side, right? I mean, we can read about what he went through. There, were, there was a lot more physical damage done to his body than just his hands and his side. But yet he retained those scars for the unbelieving, doubting Thomas in order that he might believe. Jesus intentionally retained scars for the glory of God. Scars represent where pain once was. There was a greater purpose and vision for the scars Jesus retained. And so many people, they see their wounds as defeat. They lose energy because of the severity of the wounds. They lose passion because of what they went through. And they, and, and they, they lose their drive and they sit on their gifts and they function in a very limited capacity because they've been wounded. And every time they look down at that wound, they're reminded of the pain. When I was a kid... I think I was about eight, nine years old. Um, I lived out in the country, and there was an old fence that came to a corner there. And right in that corner, there was like this huge growth of all these like bamboo shoots, and they were just everywhere. And my friends and I used to take machetes and go cut down the bamboo, and we would build forts in that corner of the fence there. And we built some pretty elaborate ones. Like, I mean, we would take the bamboo and make these cool roofs. And I loved building and, and, and designing things, even as a little kid playing with Legos. And, and I loved building these forts. We would make little rooms and walls out of the bamboo. And we were just super creative with those resources. But that wasn't sufficient enough for me as a kid to just have a bamboo fort. I wanted the illustrious dream of the treehouse. I wanted the treehouse, but my parents said, no, we're not going to buy you the supplies to build a treehouse, and we're not going to let our eight- or nine-year-old kid go out and build his own treehouse, which my eight-year-old ears heard, go find a way and go get the resources and do it yourself. And so as, this is just how I'm wired. I'm the type of person that I will always find a way. And that's just what I do. If I want to do something, I will find a way to make it happen. I'm just very, um, uh, I guess you would call it uh, uh, in, ingenuitive, I guess, if that's a word. And if not, I just made it up. Um, and I decided that I would go out into this field and in this pasture where I knew there was this old dilapidated barn that was about to fall over. And me and my buddies, we took with us a couple of hammers 
and we pulled out a bunch of old rusty nails because we needed nails to build a tree house. And I mean, these were huge nails that this barn was built with. And so we just, you know, took that claw and that hammer and pulled out a bunch of nails. And then we also pulled out the old wood that was a part of this barn as well. And we found some decent planks of wood. Well, now we've got wood, we've got nails, let's go build a tree house. And this is what kids did before cell phones, right? <clears throat> so, so we took all of our supplies that we had and we went to the perfect tree and I had a master plan and I told my friends, this is what it's gonna look like, this is what we're gonna do, it's gonna be awesome. And so we began to set forth with my plan to build this tree house. And so we gotta get up in the tree first. So first thing we have to do is build a ladder. Well, how does an eight-year-old build a ladder? One nail ought to do it in a plank, right? Yeah, sure. So we would take one of these old, gross boards and just put one nail in it, which means when you stand on it, it moves from side to side, just enough to nail the next one, though. And then if you can climb up that one and you can balance your way, you can nail another one. And we got really high up in this treehouse. And then my friend started handing me these old, you know, boards that were brittle as I'll get out. And then handing me the nails. And I'm up there and I'm building around and just making areas for us to sit. And, man, I feel like I'm really making it happen. And then we all get up in the treehouse. And all of a sudden... One of those old boards gives while I'm on it, and I fall really far out of this treehouse. But on my way down, my right knee catches one of those old rusty nails. Yeah, and so I'm on the ground crying, bleeding everywhere. And I mean, it was this huge, nasty scar, and I still have this big scar on my right knee from that incident. But guess what? As you would expect, it doesn't hurt anymore. But it's a great story, right? <laughs> Jesus, when he had those scars, there was no pain attached to those scars because he was completely healed and restored. But yet those scars were used to reach Thomas. But it represented a place where pain once was. It represented a place where suffering once existed. Just like the scar that I have on my knee represents a place where pain once was. But now there's something else that's happened. It's healed up. And because I'm healed, it's now become a story that I can share. Jesus' scars became something that he was able to use for the glory of God to help an unbelieving, doubting Thomas to believe. And so many people, when they look at their scars, they almost feel like that incident just happened. They still feel the pain from the event of the scar. And, and a lot of times they, they cover them up. They don't want anyone to see. They don't want to share the story. They don't want to be asked about it. They try to hide their wounds. They try to hide their scars because there's shame attached to that. Or maybe there's just a pain that's too fresh to talk about. And we get stuck in this cycle of pain and this thing never truly heals the way that it's supposed to. It's always this thing that reminds us of something negative. And we don't want to see it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want others to see it. We don't want others to talk about it either. And a lot of times that pain will keep us sitting on our gifts. It will keep us disengaged. It will keep us only willing to trust and keep people at arm's length. Especially if that wound was in the church. We only want to keep people in leadership at arm's length. Maybe some of you have specific church wounds towards pastors. I know that there's been a lot of things that have probably happened throughout your life. We all have disappointments and pains, things that have been said, not said, done, not done. 
things that we have seen and witnessed, and it makes us go, yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm going to keep you right here. That's where I like to keep those people, because the last time that I let someone get close, I ended up getting wounded. And when you talk about the wound, sometimes you can talk about it, and it's almost like it happened like that day or, or yesterday, because you talk about it with such a, a fervor and such an anger and such an angst, and it still has not truly healed but I believe that God wants us to find healing from those things. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 50, the very last chapter in the book of Genesis. I'm going to set this up for you while you're finding Genesis 50. This is the end of the story of a guy named Joseph. Now, Joseph, he had a bunch of brothers, and his brothers hated him. They didn't like him at all. They were jealous of Joseph because he was his father's favorite son, and they just wanted to get rid of Joseph. And so they thought about killing him, and they actually tried to kill him, and then they felt bad about it. And they thought it would be better to sell him into slavery instead of kill him. And so, so they could ease their conscience. They thought, at least we didn't kill him, but now we're going to go tell our dad that a wild animal ate him, and he's dead. And so they went and told their dad, hey, sorry, dad, Joseph's dead. Look, here's his clothes. There's blood all over it, and, and, and this wild animal ate him. And, but, but really and truly, they had sold him into slavery. And so Joseph, he goes and lives his life as a slave and then ends up being falsely accused of something that he didn't do that ended up getting him into prison. And now here's Joseph in prison, and he interprets one of his fellow prisoners' dream. And he gets this reputation as being known as this guy who can interpret dreams. And so then the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in the superpower of that day politically has like this wicked fever pizza dream and he's like freaking out going what does this mean and then news gets to pharaoh that there's this prisoner you have that actually can interpret dreams and he says well bring him here and let's see if this guy can interpret the dream and so joseph is now in the presence of pharaoh and pharaoh says here's my dream and joseph says your dream means this. And when he interprets the dream, the interpretation of that dream created the opportunity then for all of Egypt and the surrounding areas to be saved from a seven-year famine that was coming that Joseph was able to say, this is what your dream means. And he said, so to get ready for this famine, we have to prepare because there's going to come seven years of like great plentiful harvest. And so let's use the seven good years to plan for the seven bad years that are coming. So that way when it happens, we'll have enough food and we won't die of starvation. And Pharaoh's so blown away that Joseph was able to do this that he promoted him to be second in command over all of Egypt. So now Joseph is like the most powerful man in Egypt only second to Pharaoh himself and he went from prisoner now he's in this great position well guess what all of Joseph's brothers and their families they're hungry during this famine and so they have to come to Egypt and so they come to Egypt to get some food and some supplies and they come in and they don't know that it's Joseph that they're interacting and talking to when they're requesting food and they're requesting things that they need. Joseph, I guess, would have been veiled and they wouldn't have seen him. And Joseph in that moment, I find this interesting in this story, because Joseph had the authority to do to them what was done to him. He had the authority to do it. He's the second most powerful person in Egypt. I mean, he could have had them thrown in prison, beaten. He could have sold them into slavery. He could have, he could have killed them. He could have went off with their heads, right? 
and that's it. He could have done anything he wanted to do in that moment because of this terrible thing that they had done to him that caused him so much pain. But this is what Joseph said in response to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Look at what Joseph says. He says, you guys meant something evil for me. I mean, it was obvious their intent was evil. It was wicked. But Joseph says, even though your intent was evil, he said, God turned it for good. And this is what God can do in every one of our lives, that there is evil that is meant to harm us, things that are meant to keep us from trusting, things that are meant to keep us from using the gifts that God has given us, things that have, are meant to keep us stuck in feeling sorry for ourselves or being angry at the world, being angry at the church, being angry at church leadership, all of these things that the enemy wants to use to split and divide the church, all of a sudden... The things the enemy meant for evil against us, God can turn those things around and use them for good. Much like the scars that the Roman soldiers and those who opposed Jesus meant for Jesus' destruction, God used those scars that he retained to help an unbelieving Thomas believe. And I believe, church, that, that God can do the same thing with the scars that you have retained in your life and the things you've been through but here's the key you get to decide whether the scars will be a stumbling block or a launching pad I, I want you to hear this very clearly today you get to decide whether those scars will be a stumbling block or a launching pad because some people they get so focused on their their wounds and their scars and the past that they get on this hamster wheel that they just can't get off of. And they never get out of this cycle of rehashing and reliving. Because the more you gather people to hear about your wounds, the more the subject of your conversation is about your wounds, the angrier you allow your heart to become because your thought life is focused on your wounds. The more that you empower the enemy to use your wounds as a stumbling block and the longer it takes for the wounds to heal and become a scar that God can use as a launching pad in your life. It's like we get stuck in this cycle and we can't move forward. But here's our big idea for the day. A healthy person can effectively minister the gospel of reconciliation from their scars. A healthy person can effectively minister the gospel of reconciliation from their scars. That means much like Joseph, the thing that the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it around and can use it for good. Because we understand the gospel of reconciliation because Jesus has reconciled us to God by forgiving us. Amen? Amen. By washing us clean. And by showing us grace, grace is something we did not deserve. Instead of us getting what we, we deserved, we instead get grace. That's what happened with Joseph and his brothers. Because in all actuality, man, uh, if this would have been a movie that you would have seen, you would have been like, oh boy, they're going to get it. And you would have expected now the guy that's got all the power to be able to use that power, but he understood that it was God that used these things. And so instead of him using that power to get revenge, 
Instead of him using that power to cause pain to those who caused him pain, he instead extended grace by giving them what they didn't deserve. Because those brothers didn't earn that. Those brothers should have been thrown in prison for what they did. It was wrong. And instead of them getting what they deserve, they get grace. They get welcomed back into the family. They get reconnected as a family. Church, I, um, I've been thinking about this sermon for a couple weeks. And when I think about it, there's something that just keeps coming up in my mind. And I was wondering, God, do you want me to share this with the congregation when I preach this sermon? Or is this just a thought I'm having? And the thought wouldn't leave me. Um, day after day after day, even yesterday, as I was just reminding myself and kind of going over my notes uh, yesterday, I looked over my notes for today and I was thinking about this exact thing once again. And um, I understand something. Uh, being a pastor of, this is 23 years, um, 22, 23 years that I've been uh, in pastoral ministry. Seven of those years was as a youth pastor, and then the rest, whatever math is, um, has been a senior pastor. Uh, so the rest of those, I've been a senior pastor, and I know that in that 22, 23 years of, of uh, ministry, I, that my hands aren't clean, that I've probably been the source of someone's church wounds. And I don't like to think about that because I like to think that my 23 years of ministry have been super squeaky clean and everything has been flawless, you know, flawless victory. But it hasn't. It hasn't. And I, and I know that. And I know that um, I've probably made decisions and done things that have been a source of church wounds because I've been in a position of authority and leadership. And I, I was thinking about that. And I don't know who this is for. And maybe it's just one person here today that needs to hear this. And so if it's for one person, it's worth it in this sermon to take this time for you to hear this, okay? And I want you to understand this. If you need to hear it, and, and hopefully, let me back up a little bit. <laughs> hopefully in my one year here, I haven't wounded too many people. Um, uh, um, so it may not be me directly that caused the wounds, um, that maybe you're experiencing, but it may have been from a pastor or a church leader. Um, it could have been from someone in a position of authority that you trusted. And I know I represent a position of authority. I know that my role represents authority and position of leadership. And I don't know who this is for, but I felt this over and over again for the past couple weeks. And so I'm just gonna say this now, that if you need to hear someone in a position of authority say to you who has wounded you that I apologize and ask for your forgiveness for the wounds that have been caused to you by a person in my position or a person in a position of authority in the body of Christ because I want you to be able to move forward and I want you to be able to find healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and I don't want whatever a person that was in my position of authority or in a, a position of authority in a church to cause you to stumble and not be able to move forward. And so I want you to hear from, if you need to hear a pastor say to you today that I need your forgiveness, then I will publicly ask for that on behalf of whoever has hurt you or whoever has wounded you. Because it's more important for you to find healing and wholeness and move forward and not let the enemy 
keep you stuck. Amen? And, and, and I don't know who that's for, but I feel like that's what I was supposed to do. And, um, and, and I want you to understand something about, about me. I've, I've been here uh, for a little over a year now, uh, like a year and a week, I don't know, <laughs> and um, a couple weeks. And um, you've heard me say this before if you've been attending this church for a while, that my goal as lead pastor of this church is not, and it never will be, to just fill empty seats and have a bunch of people come on a Sunday morning. Like, I, I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I get excited when there's a lot of people show up, but that's not my goal. Listen, God broke me of this, like, numbers thing years and years ago when I planted a church in Texas. And sometimes at the church plant in Texas, it was just my wife and three babies that showed up for church that Sunday. Um, and I still did a full service, and we had praise and worship, and I preached a sermon, and and God used that time in my life to break me of that. So I'm not interested in, in, in the numbers game. I don't do that. So my, my thing I get excited about is never going to be just how we can get more people and let's have more, more people, more people, more people. Because more people, more problems. I mean, for real. No, I'm kidding. No. No, that's, 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 that's true, but that's not true. Um, no, I, I, I want to see more people come into the family of God. I want to see more people come to BCC because I believe that we have a great church. But that's not my goal. It's just to have more people come through our doors. That, that's not what I'm trying to do. Here's my goal. My goal and what I believe that God has brought me here to do is to lead our church to be a healthy church, to be a church full of healthy people. And so that's why I'm preaching sermons like this. Not, not because I'm accusing anyone of anything. I just know how people are and I know how church is. I know how it goes. I get it. Um, and I'm willing to be authentic and transparent with you to say, I haven't been perfect in this. And guess what? Um, I know it's only been a year. Hopefully I haven't messed up too much. But um, I'm not going to be perfect the more you get to know me. You're going to be like, yeah, I know, right? I mean, ask my wife. She's been with me for 20, almost 22 years, you know. And um, she knows I'm not, I'm not perfect. And, um, but at the same time, it's not about the perfect pastor. It's not about the perfect church. Um, what it is about is that I'm, I'm pursuing growing in who God wants me to be. And I want us to be pursuing and growing to be healthy believers. Because healthy believers have healthy families, who have healthy marriages, who, who have healthy relationships in the community, who have healthy relationships with each other. So that way when bad stuff happens, we handle it in a healthy way. Right? Because there's a right way to handle bad stuff and there's a wrong way to handle bad stuff. And healthy people will handle those things in the right way because we trust each other. If we trust each other, we're going to be honest with each other, right? Because we know that we believe the best for one another, right? As you see leadership communicate to, uh, to, to a church congregation. And that's who I believe that God has called us to be. And I know that you've been through stuff. I, I know that every one of you, um, whether you have... Uh, attended this church for a long time, or maybe you're, you're newer to the church, I know that you've dealt with difficult things. And even if you haven't experienced church wounds specifically, someone at some point in your life has disappointed you, let you down, over-promised, under-delivered. Someone has, has said words that have stuck with you and that maybe you need to let go and you need to move forward. And you need to let that thing heal because God wants to use that thing that the enemy meant to take you out to actually propel you into what he's calling you to do. 
And he actually wants you to unleash your gifts, not sit on your gifts because you're scared to use them again because you're afraid somebody else will take advantage of you. He wants you to use what he's given you, amen? And, not, and to trust him, to trust him first and foremost. Listen, people are going to fail you, amen? We can't put our trust and our hope in the government. We can't put our hope and trust in people. We put it in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what healthy Christians do. And that's what healthy, mature believers do. And here's the beauty of, of being a healthy church, is that when stuff happens that's hard, that we have to walk through, when it's challenging, when it's difficult, the healthy, mature believers will be able to help those who are still growing and trying to understand and who don't, who don't quite get it. They'll be able to speak to them and say, you know what, I've been through something like this before. Let me show you my scars. Let me show you my wounds. Let me show you what I've been through. Let me show you, come, I'm, let me be real with you. Let me show you that you can touch, you know, that you can experience this, that, that it's going to be okay. Can I share how not only did I go through something like this, but can I share with you how God helped me to heal and how I can help you to understand that God wants you to heal and not get stuck in this or not get angry or not leave over this or that because you're offended or whatever and you leave wounded and you carry that wound with you. No, can, I, can I share my story with you? And that's how God will use your wounds to help other people to find healing as well. Because a healthy person can effectively minister the gospel of reconciliation from their scars. So church, there is a greater vision beyond your disappointment. There is a greater vision beyond your hurt. There is a greater vision beyond your pain. There's a greater vision beyond all of that. God wants you to see that. Because he doesn't want you to get stuck on this repeating cycle that you never get off of this crazy ride. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. Jesus loves the church. You know this? Jesus loves the church. You know why we know Jesus loves the church? Because he died for the church. And the church is part of God's plan for maturing us and for carrying out the Great Commission. It's part of his plan. So, so no way does God want us to isolate ourselves and disconnect because of disappointment. No way does God want us to just scatter. That's what the enemy wants. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So that means as people get crazier and as the world seems to get darker, you need each other more and more and you need to see you need each other more and more. And you need to be gathering together. That's why we have these church services. That's why we have groups. That's why we have different things that we're trying to create opportunities for the body to gather together and love one another and serve one another use their gifts to not only impact each other's lives, but to impact the world around us so more people can come to find faith in Jesus Christ. So more people can come find reconciliation and forgiveness. So more people can come find healing, hope, and wholeness, and restoration. So don't give up on the church. Don't allow your gifts to be sidelined because you're afraid. The greatest pathway to healing and restoration can be found through forgiveness and rediscovering, stirring up your gifts, your passion. Listen, and when you do, hear me very clearly this morning. When you do, it doesn't mean that what happened was right or okay. It's not saying I'm sweeping this under the rug and I'm just having to be this passive person. No, 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 it's not acknowledging that the wounds that 
were dealt your direction were okay or right. It just means that you see the greater picture and you refuse to get stuck and you want to move forward and be the man or woman God's called you to be. I want to read one more scripture before we go. 1 John chapter 4. Verse John chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God, we ask you to help us with this because we all deal with tough stuff. And I ask you, Father, to help search every heart this morning to move in every heart here that has heard your word, that we may not only be hearers of your word, but God, that we may respond to your word. And that that response would be one of humility, that that response would be one of renewal of trust and of taking a faith step towards healing. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to grow. Help us all to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Help us to trust in you and not trust in man. Help us, God, to find healing to move forward. And God, if we've been sitting on our gifts and not fully engaging, I pray that you would stir us up again today by your spirit and by your word so that we can re-engage and not allow the enemy to keep us on the sidelines any longer. Lord, I pray that you would unify the body Bring healing to the body. Bring healing to every person here today and wholeness and health to our church to move forward, Lord, with one heart, one mind, one voice, one mission. And Lord, we want to live for you with everything within us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.